0: Got your Bibles this morning. I want to. Uh, we're doing a series on uh, Moses. And. Uh, set up here. All right, it's the last series or the last message of the series. So I just want you to know he dies at the end, okay? Some of you need a little advance notice. So, uh, but we're going to be reading out of Numbers chapter 12 and uh, 20 and in Deuteronomy. And. Um, and we'll finish the, the series today. But there's a, a few things. Part of the, uh, the title of the message is uh, Life of Moses, uh, Liberator, Lawgiver, and Leader. So last week, we're just tracking a little bit of some things that he learned uh, as a leader. And I just want to just take a moment and just kind of look at the leadership part of uh, some things that that Moses has learned and grown over that. Uh, So just, just take a minute. Leadership lessons from Moses... Leaders are not born, but develop and grow based on the opportunities in front of them. So I told you last week when I first started pastoring, I just thought pastoring was just more just about preaching and Sunday services. But I realized that it was much more than that. It was much more leadership comprehensive. So I started a journey to become a better leader. I bought every book that John Maxwell had and went to any, any kind of leadership Spiritual leadership kind of seminar because what I wanted to do specifically was not my job practically, but I needed to grow in some areas of uh, leadership. And if you're a Maxwell fan, he talks about the law of LID which means there's a certain time that you only go so far based on your skill set, but you can raise that lid if you grow and develop. So with Moses, we saw from the very beginning uh, how he changed. Leaders are not born, but develop and grow based on the opportunities in front of them. Leaders make mistakes, but they learn from them, and they move on. We see very early uh, in Moses' life, he made two errors, and he didn't quit in the moment, but he just kept going. They learn from their mistakes, and they move on. They don't die in the moment. They don't get discouraged. They don't quit. They learn, they grow, and they, they move on. Don't be discouraged when people don't follow you, accept your vision, or complain about you. When I hear that, I just go, welcome to leadership, That's what that is. See, people like... Because people like the stage and the lights and the, the realm of influence that you can have through leadership. Sometimes there's financial compensation that is wonderful that comes with leadership. But those other parts come with it too. Discouragement, you know, when, when people talk about you and they don't really see the vision like, like you see it. And they they complain about you personally. That's just what it is. But I want to say in that moment... Keep your integrity, don't be upset, don't be angry, don't quit. Be reminded of your call and while you are in that particular moment and keep going. But some of that is just part of leadership and it will never change. Relationships come first, vision comes second. Moses goes to the Hebrews who've been slave for 400 years and go, hey, do you want to leave? Let's leave. And they all said No. Why would you choose slavery over an opportunity to leave Canaan? Because they did not know him, okay? They did not know him. But over the period of time, Moses got to know them. He saw God, they saw God move in his life through the plagues. God surfaced uh, him to their hearts. So I want to say, influence takes a little time, all right? Let people get the opportunity to know your character, see your experience, understand your competence, and they will follow you. So sometimes we want to start vision first, let's go, but leadership says have a little buy-in, take a little time, invest in the relationships, and when you do, people will follow you. Another thing from Moses, a spiritual leader should be a great intercessor and a person that knows the Bible. We see not just Moses as a leader, but we see him on multiple occasions as he prays, as he builds altars to worship. Uh, God spoke to him Face to face as we saw last week. So his mission does not separate him from his makers. So in leadership, do not default spiritual leadership to personal charisma or leadership skills, but you be a man or woman of God, be a man and woman of prayer. You know, that's that's the proper balance that you and I should have. And then the last part of the leadership, know your limits. It's okay to say no to things and people and to delegate your task. We saw this last week in Moses' relationship uh, with Jethro, okay? So there are times in your life when you realize your capacity. I can't add anything else to my life, so I just have to say no to this or if it's important enough then I delegate the task and keep it going. Do not continue in the organizational or personal chaos you have at the moment. Say no or delegate but don't continue like it's going. So there're just a few little leadership nuggets that we can see in Moses' life as we're wrapping up this this series. So they have been traveling in the wilderness, if you know the story, if you missed you know, if you if you like to binge watch, binge watch the Moses series, all right? It's on YouTube. Get a pizza. You can just watch them all together. But they've been they've been on a journey in the wilderness, you know, for years. Now they come up to Canaan, the promised land. It's the first time that they've ever been that close. We're gonna read that in Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each, uh, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said to go up through the Negev on the hill country. And he said, see what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So when they reach, so the 12 spies, they're they're going through the land. When they reach the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and some figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskal because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off from there. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So here's what they say. They, give this, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And they showed him. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch uh, there. So here they send in the 12 spies, said, I want you to go north, south, east, and west to this promised land from the time of Abraham this is the land that they've been talking about this is the moment and they go in and what do they see man they see huge grapes big fruit it is really true it is a land that flows with milk and honey okay but the other side of that were was that there were enemies everywhere there were powerful People. They were, you know, all over the land, north, south, east, and west, and some of them were just very large. So what's intriguing here is that you have 12 people seeing the same exact scene, but they have a, difference, a different perspective. They disagree on what should be done based on what they are seeing, okay? So they're all looking at the same thing. Ten are hesitant and said, no, we shouldn't go. Two said we should go. So my question is, why do you think some are hesitant to take a risk or a step of faith? Why do you think some people are hesitant to take a risk or a step of faith? Now, I, I have a, a couple of thoughts here. One is is practical in nature, Failure in your past will predispose your thinking to failure in the future. So sometimes when we've had a failure in the past, our confidence is shot. You know, we're just, we, we've lost our self-confidence. We've lost our spiritual confidence. We, we now embrace a mentality of failure, and we remember it well. So sometimes failure will stop you from going. Failure, you know, in the past stops you from going forward in the future. It provides a convenient excuse for you not to try anything that has any challenge or any risk with it, okay? One of my favorite movies is Rudy. Rudy. Okay, now he went to Notre Dame. I don't like that, you know, but I can't change history. All right, but Rudy had all kinds of challenges in his life. You know, he, he wasn't big enough for Division I football. He didn't make the grades. He was turned down multiple times. And if you saw the movie, listen, if there's one thing that you can say about him, this guy never gave up. He never gave up. So it was a no. Can't get in Notre Dame, you know, but I'm going to go to community college. He tried over and over again. Listen, sometimes people take an initial failure and they just stop, you know. But there's a time, you know, there, there, there's a time that, you know, that we don't need to let failure of the past, you know, just own us for the future. Listen, one failure in your past does not predict a lifetime of failures, one failure in your past does not predict a lifetime of failures, but what it will do is ensure a lifetime of missed opportunities. All right? I failed. Hey, I'm done. I'm not going to try to do that anymore. I'm going to be more measured, you know, and in, in when I make decisions. So sometimes it's practical. If you failed in the, for, uh, in the past, there's a mental predisposition that you will fail in the future. Sometimes it's theological. We assume that if there's a challenge or risk, then it must not be God's will. Have you ever read the Bible? You ever read the Bible? All right. I mean, was, was Peter tanning on the beach when he learned, you know, about faith? No. There was, a, there was a violent storm. Peter's in the boat. And in the midst of all of that, man, he takes his, he takes his feet and he steps, he steps on the water. David man was he was he just a shepherd how did he how, how did his leadership skills be honed was it just in the pasture no it was in the shadow of Goliath shining up those five stones so sometimes we assume that if there's challenge or risk that God may not be in it but I say just the opposite God wants to prove himself faithful to you and he'll walk through walk with you hand in hand with whatever that That challenge or risk may be. Caleb, so here's Caleb's answer. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, I love it, I love it. We should go up and take possession of the land. They're seeing the same scene, seeing the same scene. But look at the different perspectives here. Caleb silenced the people before Moses. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. All right, And he and Joshua gave high five and the other ten looked at them like, what what are you doing? Then the men who had gone up with them said, look at this, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. They are spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Look at this. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Twelve people looking at the same thing, but they're different life perspectives. They have different differences on what they should do. So the challenge and the risk of the moment was blinding them to the fruit and the blessing of what was in front of them. Now, sometimes we use this term, and I don't like this term. It's the term fearless which sometimes in a spiritual sense we think if i'm going to do something for god even though there's you know there's challenges i should have no fear there should be no apprehension there there should be no concern at all i don't like that term i like the term courage i like that better courage assumes that there's going to be risk and there's going to be challenge but in the midst of that the challenge I'm going to go ahead and move anyway so i want to say to you vision and courage risk and faith they all go hand in hand don't be fearless be courageous now some of you you've you've had a life dream you've had something you wanted to accomplish with your life and you're looking on a scene and, and you're going, man, is this God's promise for me? But you see all kinds of, of obstacles in the way. And, man, you've backed off or you delayed. And I just want to tell you this morning that that could be your promised land. There's, 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 there's no uh, uh, adversity, free risk, or challenge. So I want to say to you, possess the land. Know the challenge and possess the land. I want to say to the graduates this morning, it's a great story. There's going to be a life filled with challenge for you, and you can't back away every time there's you know, something that, you know, that we're, we're, we're not sure about. One of my life verses that I love is this. Out of Ecclesiastes, If the farmer waits for the perfect day, he will never plant. If the farmer waits for the perfect day, he will never plant. So there are times in your life that there are risks, there are questions, there's apprehensions. And are are we going to let that always rule everything that we want to do for God? Or are we just going to be courageous and go, yeah, there are challenges out there before me. But with God's help, I'm going to possess the land. So I want to say possess the land to you this morning. All right? Another uh, story in Moses' life that I think is really, is really important, Numbers 20, as we're kind of getting to the very end. It says, In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed in Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if we had only died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Man, what a great hopeful group that is. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, And it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community and their livestock to drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice. Water gushed out, the community and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. These were the waters of Meribah. All right? So it seems like Moses has a little issue with temper and anger. Okay, so when you hear that, you don't, when you hear that word, you don't always immediately go back to Moses' life, but he's got this track record of kind of this hot temper. If you'll remember very early in Moses' life, when he saw uh, an Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew, Moses jumped on him, and he just didn't stop the fight, he killed him, buried him in the sand. Uh, Moses, uh, excuse me, Exodus 11, when Moses is with Pharaoh and he's having this discussion, it says, Moses left hot with anger. And that's a quotation. Exodus 20, Moses comes down from Sinai and he's got the two tablets, the Ten Commandments that God had written with his finger. And he gets so upset with what he sees them doing, he throws the tablets down. Is he crazy? I mean, you throw the tablets down that, that God had made. So here they are. They've been wandering for several decades, wandering in the desert for several decades. And they're still hearing this same thing, still complaining. I mean, what I just read to you, we've heard numerous times. They're blaming Moses. They're still talking about Egypt. But also, if you caught the sentence, too. It said Moses' sister Miriam had died, had died as well. So, so he's not in a real good place. I mean, here these people are continually kind of complaining, and his sister had passed away. Listen to me. Sometimes death or unexpected challenges bring our anger and our temper a little closer to the surface, okay? So, so here he is. He's dealing with all of this. Listen. Listen. Anger is a natural God-given emotion to help us deal with displeasure or irritation, okay? It's how God made us. It's how God developed humanity mentally and emotionally to deal with things that are upsetting to us. So when we get angry are upset it does not mean that you 're not a Christian or a good believer. it just means you 're normal you 're just normal that 's just how God created us to deal with things that 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 kind of kind of irritate us all right so like I mean if you have small children, you know what i 'm talking about right that that moment that you are are chal- or are confronted with your Humanity. Kayla was learning to write her name, and we were so thankful for that. But she did it on our bedroom wall you know, in a sharpie marker. How do you deal with that moment? Oh, how precious. Look at her little handwriting. Look how she developed. Kelsey, she's in the garage one day. She pulls out spray paint and she paints the back quarter panel of my car. I. What do you do do with that? How do you process that? Let me just say, I had to say the sinner's prayer and start all over after that. I mean, that was a new depth. Kendra, I gave her chocolate milk from uh, McDonald's when she was a little kid. Instead of taking it out, she rolled it up under the seat in front of her. We go on vacation. We come back. At some point, that chocolate milk had exploded in my car. I opened my car. I wanted to faint, okay? And I want to tell you, uh, it took two months. I just wanted to sell the car, but nobody would buy it. All right? So you're, you're always, you always feel, you always feel anger, but we have to learn how to deal with that, we have to learn to separate your anger from harsh words, profanity, verbal abuse, threats, and violence. So we're always going to feel it. We're going to be upset. It's not a lack of spirituality, it's just how we are wired, but what we do with that is important. If you read the saw the news in January, it was very sad. Because there was a road rage incident on Thomasville Road in Bannerman. Do you remember that? And somebody died over that. And I, you know, I, I'm just reading the article going, man, I mean, at some point, you know, like, when, when, do you, when do you stop? And it caught my attention because I go up Thomasville Road, turn on Bannerman, I go to that convenience store, been there, been there a good bit, but, you know, at some point, Man, just people kept going and going and going. So I want to say we're always going to feel anger. We're going to feel uh, frustration, but we got to learn to separate that with God, ungodly acts. Now, Moses, he's upset. And I just think he has every right to. These people have been whining and complaining. Not one time did you ever read about Pastor Appreciation Day during that particular time. They never gave a banquet in his honor or dinner. They just whined and complained the whole time. And his sister had died as well. So now he goes and they say strike. I mean, speak to the rock. But Moses is upset. He's angry. They're still in his ear. And man, he takes the stick. Bow, and he hits it twice. He's upset. God honors that. And lets the rock give water. Okay. But he said to Moses. He said hey. You know what. Your disobedience here is going to cost you. Because you're not going to be able to lead the people over. To the promised land. He was banned from the promised land. Our forgiveness of sin And the consequences of sin, different. Yes. The Lord forgave Moses. Okay, listen to me. The Lord forgave him. He wasn't banned from the promised land. The Lord didn't strike him down. He forgave him, you know. But there's a consequence to our sin as well. Listen to me. You may ask, some some people think it's the same thing. That if, I, if God forgives me, then there's no consequence for my behavior. And I'm saying, no, that's not necessarily correct. Okay? It's not necessarily correct. There are times that God forgives, but that the consequences of our sin, they continue, and we have to own up to that. Moses comes back, you know, a, a few weeks later. Deuteronomy 3 says, Moses said to the Lord, hey, uh, can, you, can, you, uh, can I go into the promised land? You know, And the Lord said, no, and don't ask me about it again. It's a closed issue. It's a closed, it's a closed issue. God was patient with Moses, tolerating his anger. But there was a point and a line that he said, no, there's going to be consequences uh, for your anger. So I want to say to you this morning, don't let a moment of anger stop a lifetime of good things in your life. All right? James says, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So it doesn't say don't. It just says you need to process your anger slowly. All right? Any quick-tempered people out there? Oh, don't point anybody out. Just, I'm just saying rhetorically. Any quick-tempered people out there? You get angry quick, you speak and you act. This passage says be slow to anger. It doesn't say you won't ever get to anger because we're wired that way. It says process your anger slowly so that you'll have, you'll have the right response even though you're upset. Okay? Do you know that you can be, uh, uh, be upset and handle your anger in a godly way? Ephesians says, be angry, but don't sin. So you can be upset. You can storm off, you know. You can go to the garage, I guess, and say whatever you want to say when nobody's around. Okay, however you want to deal with that. Take a long drive. Look at this. <clears throat> get rid of all angerness. Excuse me, get rid of all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander. See, anger is not a standalone emotion. When we get angry, we bring a lot of other things to the, to the picture that complicates, that complicates the scene. Look at this. Get rid of all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander must be removed from you, along with malice. But he said instead of that, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you. In Christ. Okay. So it's not a standalone. Normally, how's this go? Once you erupt, you're saying every bad thing that you can think of, you're pulling sins from 1972 out of somebody, you know, somebody's past. You're trying to, you're trying to hurt as much as you can. He's going, No, no. You get rid of that other stuff. Be angry, be upset with certain things, but it's how you handle that, that it's important. And it cost Moses. It cost Moses a life dream. He'd given his life to take those people to the promised land, and he crossed a line with the Lord. He's in heaven. We'll see him in heaven, but he didn't get to see the promised land. So last scene of Moses' life. Deuteronomy 32, God tells Moses, all right, I want you to start walking and come to Mount Horeb, and I want you to go to the top, okay? Because when you get there, you're going to die, okay? Wow, yeah, I, I mean, I would do that, but it'd be a very slow walk, let me tell you that. I'd be faking a hamstring and, uh, you know. So I want you to come to Horeb, and I want you to go to the top, because when you get there, you're gonna die. So Moses starts the long process. So I have a question, I have a question. If you could know the day of your death Would you want to know? I'm going to ask you for an answer in a moment. If you could know the day of your death, like Moses, would you want to know? Okay. So, uh, Deuteronomy 34, last scene of Moses' life. Moses climbed to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to to Dan, uh, the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as... Zor, the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it, which Moses said, yeah, we've already covered that, okay? But he did let him kind of let him see that this promise is about to be fulfilled. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite of Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Where's all the complaints now? You know, where's all the griping and complaining? Now they're a little nervous, all right? Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him, and the Israelites listened and did what the Lord uh, had commanded Moses. So I asked you a moment ago, if you could know the day of your death, would you want to know? If you want to know, just real quick, raise your hand up and down. If If you could know... All right. Wow. Everybody else is like scared like me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. It it would bother me if I knew when I was going to pass. You know, I'd be crying every Christmas. I've only got 12 more Christmases. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Becky spend on the girls. I've only got, you know, I I think it would mess me up. So, uh, but it's funny because there are only maybe 10 or 11 people that kind of raised their hands that I would want to, I would, I would want to know. I don't. I don't. All right. Uh, can I just say to everyone, there's a time that it's all over for us. Okay. There's a time that that we all have a have a date, you know, uh, uh, of of our demise. One day it is our time, and we don't control the time or the manner of our passing. All right. We would like to do that. We would like to script our own exit, right? I would love to be in the pulpit preaching and just go. And you have to carry my dead body out of here. I would love that moment. Glory to God, you know. Um, Moses knew specifically when he was going to pass. But we know generally, you know, that there is a time of passing for everyone. But it said Moses... He was still strong. His eye wasn't dim. So sometimes we think if my health is good and I'm young, then I'm insured many, many days. And I say to you, not necessarily, okay? No man knows the time of his passing or the manner of how uh, he or she would pass. But there's usually, when we think about death and passing there's usually three questions people ask before they die what's going to happen to me after I die even believers we believe something you know but there comes a point when you get a little older when the doctor shakes his head and goes I'm not sure that you really internalize this what's going to happen to me after I die is there really a God is there really a God Am I, going, am I going to heaven when I die? Well, let me just give some thoughts to those, to those questions, all right? What's going to happen to me after I die? Well, you're going to live on forever, okay? Somewhere. We're not animals, one-dimensional, that when we die, it's just over. Now, people want to debate me about that sometimes. These animal lovers, I'm just telling you, they're nice and fluffy, but they're not going to be in heaven, praise God, all right? We're not animals. We are spiritual living beings created by God. The body perishes, but the soul lives on forever. So what happens what's going to happen to me after i die you are going to live on somewhere forever is there really a god yes there is you may not be able to tell it on tv and movies and social media they kind of conveniently cut that out but i want you to know that God has been in the business for a long time letting you know that he exists. When you look up into the heavens at night and you see the beauty of the heavenly bodies, when you consider the beauty of of the earth many of you will sit on a beach or you'll go to a mountain or you'll be on a lake and there's just something that connects you just something with the beauty of that when you look at this earth that man just makes you point to something bigger you know than our than our own self and random chance you look at the human body you look at sunrise or a sunset these are different ways that God is out there going. "Hey, yes, yes, I'm, I'm here. You can see me through my creation. It's called general revelation. But also, you can look at human consciousness. Why is it that the humans are different than any other, any other species here? on the earth. Why why do we have human consciousness? It's because we are created in the image of God and he's breathed his breath into our life. So is there a God? Yes. And he tries in many and multiple ways to get your attention. Am I going to heaven? Well, now that would be up to you, okay? The price has been paid and the invitation has been given, okay? So probably everybody here this morning, this is not your first time in church, you're aware of salvation, you're aware of of God, but have you kind of accepted that invitation and that gift? Are you living just in the knowledge of a relationship with God or have you really stepped personally and individually into that relationship? There's one verse and it's so simple, probably everybody here knows it. But it will answer those three questions that I just mentioned. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Okay? All three of those questions are answered in that one simple verse. There is a God there is eternal life, and we can all live in, in heaven in the glories of God if we accept the price that was paid on the cross with the person of Jesus. You know, So Moses, he goes up. I don't know how it happened, but Moses breathes his last breath. There's a day that you and I, we all breathe our, our, our last breath. Brent worship team, you can come you know, but there's one other, there's a word that I want to give you just to kind of think as we're talking about this last chapter of Moses' life and its legacy. Legacy. What we leave, what we leave behind, all right? Because we think legacy is connected to bank accounts and stock portfolios, all right? But actually, That's very shallow when it comes to legacy. It's about how we've impacted and what we are leaving in the lives of other people. So questions about your legacy. What do you want to leave behind? How do you want to be remembered? What spiritual values do you want to leave with others? What reputation do you want to have? What is the key theme that you would want to hear at your funeral or words etched on your tombstone. Is your family being impacted by these spiritual values? Sometimes we carry values in our heart. They're not even values. They're just hopes. Okay, but we're not impacting our family in these areas. Is your family being impacted by these spiritual values? Are you living in a way now that represents those values, okay? Because the way you're living now, really, are you handing, actively handing off that particular legacy? It's so, we shortchange everyone if we just think it's about bank accounts and stock portfolios. That's my legacy. But spiritually, you've been empty or you've been distant. It's a legacy You know, it's a legacy that will only last as long as the financial paperwork is there. All right? We want to leave more. We want to leave more. We want our values to help guide and lead and be a blessing long after we have departed. So it's not about bank account. Those things are helpful. It's not about, you know, your estate. I mean, I'm I'm going to have three son-in-laws one a day. I'm not leaving them any money. They're on their own. I'm going to have my debit card in my hand the whole way out. I'm gone. it's what we leave behind. And the ultimate legacy is about your own heart. Your own heart. Your own relationship with God. God said to Moses, come up here. It's time. We don't always have that luxury. So we just live every day with the hope, you know, that I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. But it's not about money. It's about impact. It's about legacy. It's about when people sit around after you're gone. And they tell stories about you. Stories of your values. Stories of... Your prayer times, stories of going to church, man, those are, that's a, that's a legacy that's much greater than any dollar that you can leave behind. It's a legacy of faith. Every, every parent, every parent of small children building that, building that legacy, that spiritual legacy in your, in, your own, in your own life, in your own family is important. And here's the last verse kind of Moses' funeral. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, his first value. Man, he, was, he knew the Lord. He did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all the officials in the whole land. No one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. End of his life. Not a bad way to go out. But the first part was this thing was personal with him. Not just what he did, but it's, it's who he was. He, he knew the Lord. So this morning, if you're here, if you're here today, maybe you walk in the knowledge of the church. You walk in the knowledge. Man, you could tell certain things about the Bible. But maybe, maybe you've never really made it personal to your own life. OK? Accepting Jesus, opening your heart up to the Lord and, and really becoming a follower of Jesus. Today's your day. Or if you've walked away from the Lord, some of the stories that I'm telling are not far from you. I quote John 3:16, "You know most of it. But yet for whatever reason you've strayed. Hey, this is the moment. This is the moment that we can bring it all back together and come back. And I like to phrase it this way if you do three things, then God will do three things. If you do three things, admit that you need God in your life, believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross, and if you confess your sins before Him, if you'll do those three things, then God will do three things for you. He'll give you forgiveness of sin, He'll wipe it clean. He'll give you a new life. So you go, hey man, I really messed myself up. Well, you know what? When salvation begins, a new chapter begins to be written in your life. It says, old things are passed away, all things become new. And He gives you eternal life as well. You don't have to worry. You know, you don't have to worry if there's a, a premature demise in your life. Because he's holding you that promise and you are ready. You're ready to live with him and for him the rest of your life, okay? There's a prayer that they're going to put up on the screen. It's a very simple prayer. And I want you to just kind of pray that, read over that, if that's, if that's for you, okay? Because today can be a day that you start a new chapter in your life. It can be a day that you start back over with the Lord. All the junk in the past can be gone. It can be forgiven. You can start new with the Lord. It says, Father, I know you've broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I'm truly sorry and I want to turn from my sinful past towards you. Please forgive me. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins and was resurrected from the dead and is alive, and he hears my prayer. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and to reign in my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I pray. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's not complicated at all. Would you stand? Would you stand? I want to pray. I want to pray over you. The worship team's going to come. They're just going to gonna sing a song of worship, and then we're going to to dismiss. Lord, I thank you this morning, Lord, for your blessing and your goodness to us. Lord, I pray for everyone. Maybe they, they just haven't been ready to meet God. They just haven't considered. They just think you're going to live forever. But Lord, uh, no man knows the day nor the hour. Lord, our life is just a bit of vapor. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. We'd be ready to meet with you be ready. I pray for those that prayed that prayer today. God, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that they would know you and they would, Lord, they would just feel and sense, Lord, your forgiving power and your forgiving grace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube,